You are tuned in to the Sparkles and Fairy Lights podcast. Imogen Campbell is your host and she will tackle issues that tend to sneak up on one and wreak havoc on the unprepared midlife soul. If you are in your 20s or 30s, feel free to join the conversation and be ignorant no more. Welcome to Sparkles and Fairy Lights. It's season two, episode five. Once upon a time, as fairy tales go, there was a ravishing princess, the fairy tale darling of the world, who shortly thereafter became the pariah, a truly spectacular fall from grace. Perhaps you can relate. Perhaps it describes your life or that of a friend or family member who needs love and compassion after going through something traumatic. It may make you wonder how the line was crossed, being someone respected and loved one day to a virtual outcast the next. We will look at a fictitious character in illustration and then move on to biblical perspective thereafter. Please hang around for that. Marianne was mesmerizing. One could not fail to notice. Perplexingly and paradoxically perfect. Hers was the peachiest, most sun-kissed of complexions. Surely cultivated in a Tuscan orchid where she was so at home, despite protestations that she just could not live without sunscreen and a sun hat. Easy on the eye, delicate even, yet her piercing eyes revealed a steely determination. She exuded glamour and sophistication, yet was still able to pull off boho, flowing styles with effortless ease. While her edgy outfits were a hit in fashion capitals around the world, her enigmatic ready smile yet aloof demeanor somehow added to their allure. She could not be pegged down or pigeonholed in any way. She just seemed to be so confident in her world, so, so comfortable in her own skin, especially in front of the camera. Intriguingly, her glacial facade of icy coolness could easily transform into the warmest burst of sunshine ensnaring and disarming the most critical of critics. Whether Marianne's honey-hued, glossy tresses were impeccably styled in an updo, or whether her locks cascaded around her shoulders in waves, she stopped the traffic. Her signature scent with notes of orange blossom wafted around her, as intoxicating as a summer breeze while her dulcet, raspy voice beckoned one a bit closer. A showstopper. Soon, she became the darling of the fashion world, an undisputed queen of the runway. She hogged the attention at the most exclusive parties and red carpets at award shows, the preserve of the elite, talented and moneyed mortals, and was generally constantly in the press. She managed to avoid throwing too much spotlight on her past. Articles seemed to capture the fluff. Her being amused, musing about her love life, designer clothes to match the jetted lifestyle, and hanging out with the world's movers and shakers. If the world was anyone's oyster, it was hers. An icon in the making, Marianne greeted adoring fans wherever she went amid flashing cameras. And she savoured 
every single minute. For a while, she could not put a foot wrong. Though her arrival on the fashion scene was somewhat obscure and undramatic, her rise to the top was nothing short of meteoric. Strangely, nobody dared ask too many questions about her past, because despite coming across as erudite and having worked with the best in the business, her eyes were less warm, less friendly, and her curt responses discouraged prying of any sort. But one day, ominous clouds appeared on her horizon. A highly respected designer she'd worked with made no bones about her character, and damning accusations about her swirled in the media. Despite efforts to wash the story once it broke, the damn walls seemed to breach, and instead of dying down, the story that is, it garnered momentum, became a raging torrent of media speculation and spiraled out of control. Somehow, it emboldened individuals to open up and come forward, uttering similar experiences. Unsuspecting diehard fans just couldn't believe it. It just didn't fit, did not seem plausible, and she herself expressed that she felt like she was the target of a witch hunt and that she felt betrayed. Her desultory, laconic declarations to the contrary did little to promote her cause. Social media frenzy added fuel to the firestorm and nothing she could do seemed to distract from the allegations and stem the tide. There was scant evidence that the scandal was abating. All kinds of things from her past started to emerge. Long lost friends, or were they frenemies, came forward with episodic stories of how they had experienced being trodden on. It seemed she had left a number of victims in her wake and they came out from the woodwork in what seemed like droves. All said the same thing. Nothing was as important to her as making it, no matter the cost. She was no respecter of persons and would often offend people's cultural and religious beliefs as well. She had zero tolerance for rules and processes and always sought her own way while romantic suitors always swayed and towed the line. She was utterly and completely spoiled and indulged, rotten to the core. Her usual Kikamp cool facade was eerily gone, and it was clear that she had most certainly descended into infamy. The questions dominating headlines soon became how she had been able to operate behind that facade so convincingly at such a high level for so long. Her true character, now well and truly emerged, painted a vastly different picture and what soon became glaringly obvious was that she had spectacularly fallen from grace. Her star had truly fizzled. What drove her though? What was in her heart to convince her that she deserved only the best? So much so that she would walk over others in her pursuit of it with scant regard for their well-being. As long as she was able to maintain her image, be seen in all the right places and snapped in the right circles, she couldn't care less. What drove her to such lengths? Why was she so conniving, hard and unflinching? Did it mask a huge sense of insecurity? Today, I reintroduce you to Miriam, the sister of Moses. And one day, she also had a spectacular fall from grace. It is not every day that the Bible specifically says 
that one has angered God and he afflicts said individual with a skin disease. Her story though is defined by clemency and she's able to take her place among the greats. But first she had to learn a thing or two. You know, every one of us is prone to pride. We must search our hearts to find evidence of it and eradicate it as so not to affect our reactions to and about others. It is a devilishly bad trait and leads only to destruction and downfall. One is led to believe that for various reasons you are better than others and many have there been who have fallen prey and fallen down in disgrace because of it. Anyway, I read you Proverbs 16 verse 18 from the New International Version as follows. It says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. But let's first look at Miriam again and her arrival on the scene in the Bible. She was first introduced in Exodus 2. This little girl stole the show. Her baby brother Moses had been thrown into the river Nile directly as a result of an edict from the Pharaoh at the time. He promulgated that Hebrew boys under two years of age be thrown into the Nile River. Despite Moses' parents doing everything they could to conceal his birth and first months of life, the day came when they put him in a basket coated with pitch and set him upon the waters of the Nile. This dutiful, loving sister stood watching from a distance at the river's edge. She was desperate to see what would come of this and whether little brother would be okay. It wasn't long before Moses was spotted, ironically, by Pharaoh's daughter. Pulled out and he was then named Moses, which means drawn from the water. Pharaoh's daughter then faced a slight predicament. Someone needed to look after the dot. Miriam fearlessly trotted to the water's edge and with all the guts afforded her, provided a solution to the royal's problem and arranged to find a woman who could nurse the child. She then went off, fetched her mother, who got paid to nurse her own son. That is it in a nutshell. And glossing over a miracle of that magnitude is almost criminal on my part, that is. But as it is not crucial to our narrative today, we have to move on swiftly. That Miriam was going to be a bold, courageous leader was patently clear from the Bible's introduction. She was used mightily by God during the exodus from Egypt. I will quote two Bible verses from the New International Version about her significance. The first is in Micah 6 verse 4. And I quote, it says, I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Arian and Miriam. Secondly, Exodus 15:20. I quote, Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. She led the women in worship after the massive miracle of walking through a body of water, the River Jordan, on dry land. She exhibited what we all knew was there the entire time. She was the true leader who inspired others to follow her. Furthermore, Miriam is credited as the first woman to be called a prophetess in the Bible. An outstanding woman, to be sure. I'm certain that you would agree that Miriam was a woman to be revered and her great qualities remain hard to imitate. However, Numbers 12, unfortunately, tells a tale of the time when this leader was no longer so humble and then of her dramatic fall from grace. I believe that her life story bears witness to what happens when deadly, despicable pride enters your heart. 
When you seem naturally gifted with much, it can literally go to your head. But let's allow the Bible to do the talking, and then I will give you my woefully inadequate thoughts on the matter in explanation. The first verse of Numbers 12 is as follows. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. My cursory reading of the text immediately calls me to question the words talk against. Please note it is both Aaron and Miriam sowing discord. Are they doing this based on prayer? Have they consulted God on the matter? Have they spoken to Moses and have they considered how Moses' wife may feel? Then let's proceed to read verse 2. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. What could be their motive for telling the people that God had also spoken through them? Although biblical record clearly places Moses at the forefront and that he had spent considerable time on Sinai hearing from God about the Ten Commandments and more. A man of God himself described as having a special relationship with him. They were fully cognizant of this. Why then would they so casually speak against the servant of the living God? I certainly would hazard a guess, and I think you would too. Here comes the kicker. Verse 3 describes against whom they are talking, and when the Bible makes a statement about your character, you'd better believe it. I quote, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. I've already made mention of the theme running throughout the Bible, the theme of humility. The Bible calls Moses humble. I think only Jesus was described as such in the New Testament, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. But then God acts immediately. I read verses 4 to 8 to you. It follows. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? I'm not sure about you, but I would never want to be in that position. Ever. God does not mince his words. He makes it very clear that he's displeased. He immediately calls a meeting to resolve this issue once and for all. He speaks directly to the offending parties. And because he is God, he knows exactly what's in their hearts. God, I still think, is kind in that he spells out exactly what a prophet is as well as their roles in the community. Very esteemed roles at that. So few men, and especially women, were regarded as true prophets of God. These two were part of that revered group. Nonetheless, God doesn't go on to explain how Moses, because of his close relationship with him, far outshone the usual characteristics and life of a prophet. After God had pointed this out, he then asked that million dollar question. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Why do you think that they were so brazen and unafraid? They not anticipate ramifications. Did they not think that far? 
did they think that their own roles in this redemptive story were under threat? The Bible is not 100% clear, and once again, it is conjecture on my part. However, my heart hurts when I read the next verse, and I quote, The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. I do not want to offend God in such a manner, that he is angry and leaves me even for a moment, though I must add that I have undoubtedly given him reason. Considering that they regarded themselves as prophets, quite frankly, they did not see this coming. Why were they so blind to what was in their hearts and that it was offensive to God? Did the sin of self-importance blindside them? Or was it fear that they would be supplanted in the annals of history and time? Was that even a concern? But then verse 10 reveals, I quote, When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. I remain gobsmacked and flabbergasted by this. Miriam has a disease that is regarded as unclean in Israel. Aaron sees her and calls out to Moses. Questions are swirling around in my head. Was Aaron not afflicted? Apparently not. Why not? He immediately sees his sister and cries out to the other man of God to whom they need to term in times like these. Moses. In effect, underscoring his importance, if you will. Read Leviticus 13 and 14 for a deeper explanation of the situation. Aaron admits that the sin was foolish. Can it be that Aaron instantly saw his own heart, could acknowledge it and ask for forgiveness as soon as they had come before God? Who was the instigator, by the way? For someone who had been doing a lot of talking against Moses, Miriam was strangely quiet. It could be that she was absolutely stunned by the turn of events. Aaron begs Moses. What was his response? Let's read verse 13. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please God, heal her. At no point did Moses gloat, laugh, or tell them, I told you so. And to be frank, I would expect nothing less from a true man of God who had met with God in the manner described above. His exemplary character in full display here as he cries out to God for her to be healed. But then God says something that I'm going to study further because it certainly doesn't make sense right now. I quote verses 14 to 15. Here we go. The Lord replied to Moses, If a father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days and the people did not move on till she was brought back. It refers to ritual uncleanness. But since they left up seven days, it is clear from the text that Miriam was healed but had to be confined for seven days. I'm sure that she had time to ponder her ways in isolation. The pandemic certainly helped us understand the fruits of isolation and time for reflection. Considering that her legacy is as a prophetess in Micah along with her brothers, I'm sure that she repented. One day, when she again faces her maker, she can stand before him, confident that assiduous pride that may have taken root in her heart had been uprooted and destroyed. In addition, 
I'm fairly sure that she felt extraordinarily humbled and embarrassed when the other Israelites wanted to know why she was in isolation. Yes, God dealt decisively with discord in his camp. There are ways we need to deal with issues we may have with leadership. Talking against them without addressing the situation with said leaders is not one of them. I believe that because Aaron and Miriam occupied such prominent roles, God acted so swiftly and decisively, immediately quashing any community-wide spread of this malaise and sickening virus. I praise God that sometimes He needs to deal with us decisively when what is in our hearts is able to wreak havoc in our community, church or family. It's because He loves us that He is able to confront us. May the life of Miriam, the highs and the lows, serve as an inspiration for godly loving. Next week, we continue this theme of overstepping the mark as we saw that these prophets were seeking to gain a name for themselves at the expense of Moses. Not happy with the role God had already given them, they spoke against Moses in order to gain more respect and usurp some of his while painting a bad picture of him and maligning his wife. I wonder how well the family goes along after that. But that's all for today. See you next Tuesday. So looking forward to it. Goodbye. Thank you for lending an ear. If you are new, consider subscribing. And if you feel inclined, please leave a review or let me know your thoughts on Facebook or Twitter.